come to the preaching now. So if you turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 tells us two stories at once. It tells us first their story, what happens to the people of Babylon and the empire and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It tells us what happens to them and what that all means. And at the same time, it tells us our story, what's happening to us today, in this world, in this country. And what that all means. Now I'm going to tell you the whole sermon in one sentence. You ready? When the world gets together to do what only Jesus can do, Christians call it out as a pipe dream, fake. And instead we look to the Lord Jesus and to his kingdom instead. That's the whole sermon. Now, um, it would be remiss of me to end there, so you'll allow me to go into a bit more detail, I think. Let's look at that first point, getting together, the world getting together. Now, do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2? It's something we all learned in Sunday school. Uh, in case you haven't read Daniel since then, let me ask you, uh, what was that dream? Do you remember the statue? It had a head that was made of gold remember what did that golden head represent it was Babylon wasn't it if you just turn back a page in Daniel chapter 2 you can read about this uh, this golden head of this uh, statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreams about and Daniel tells him you are this head of gold in, in Daniel 2:38. Babylon is great he says there's nothing like it in all the world. When you're thinking about the succession of kingdoms in the world, Babylon is the peak. It's all downhill from there. I mean, Daniel, he, he really speaks quite strongly, doesn't he, in verse 37. He says, you, O king, are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, glory. The thing is, Nebuchadnezzar had a problem with that dream. What was his problem? Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that only the head was gold. As far as he was concerned, the whole thing should be gold. Everything should be about me. Everything should be about Babylon. And so that's what he tries to do. He tries to make the dream come true, only better. That's what we're reading about in, in Daniel 3, verses 1 to 7, where Nebuchadnezzar constructs a 90-foot golden idol either of God or perhaps even of himself, and it towers over this great big plain, and he fills it with people. And this thing is just gleaming in the sun. It can be seen from miles around. And there's so many people there. Do you see all the names of the different types of people listed? Princes, and they were the assembly members, the councillors, the minister, uh, ministers of parliament. They were um, presidents and prime ministers from all over the world flocking to this idol. The world was getting together. And over that hubbub was a beautiful symphony, the most fabulous orchestra in the world, uniting them all with that piece of music, focusing them all, bringing them all together with a unity, with one purpose, to worship the peak 
of human achievement. So all that repetition throughout the chapter really drives that home, that exuberance, that optimism. It's actually um, multiple references to the number of 11 through the chapter. It doesn't come through in the English, but apparently in the in the original that it was written, you can read all about that. Now, um, there used to be a band in the 1980s, uh, before my time, some of you might remember them, Spinal Tap. I don't know if they were anaesthetists or something, but what they used to say is all of our amps, they had, had these amplifiers, you could turn them up to 11, not just 10, but all the way to 11, and they thought that was amazing. And that's what Daniel is doing in Daniel chapter 3. He's turning it up to 11. He's saying, look at the exuberance, the pomp, the circumstance, the world getting together with all of their effort. Does that event remind you of anything else that had happened in the Bible before? There's various allusions in the chapter that show us that Daniel had Babel in mind when he wrote this chapter. Do you see that, the similarities there? A gathering of all peoples on the plain of Babylon, it's even in the same location. There was a common language. There was a common objective. They were united to exalt themselves, worshipping a monument of pride and human endeavor. They say, we make ourselves gods. Yeah? The name of the game is self-exaltation. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. That's what Babylon was doing. That's what Babel did. And that's what we do today. But the question is, are they wrong? Were they wrong to behave and think and speak like this? It doesn't seem so, does it? As a snapshot of human history, it looks like we have peaked. They really have shaken off the curses of God. The curse of Genesis 3, they've done it without Jesus. They've overcome judgment. That thing that was, uh, that judgment that was put on Babel, where the people were scattered with all these different languages, they've overcome it without Jesus. They've brought them all together. Today, God has scattered, but we have regathered. God has given languages, and we've overcome. God has humbled us, and we have climbed back up. God says we need Jesus, his son. We're busy making utopia without him. Barriers that come between us, like religion, and race, and language, and gender, all of these things we're overcoming ourselves. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Human beings are still smoking the same crack pipe today. We dream about our own grandeur. We dream about cure-all vaccines, peace on earth, the end of corruption, the end of racism, the end of violence. It's not overstating it to think of, to say that we literally dream about saving the world without Jesus. And sometimes it really does look like we've made our dreams come true. The pay gap is down. Equality is up and all of that sort of stuff on our own, without Jesus, every day we achieve, we build, we advance. Now, I don't, we don't really have time to go into this year, but Christians aren't immune to this way of thinking, are we? 
You see, look at Nebuchadnezzar here. He's no atheist, is he? He does believe that there is a God. He says so himself throughout the um, throughout Daniel and even in this chapter. He does believe that there is a God, but in his heart, we don't need him, he says. There are many people in the world, perhaps even in this room, who call Jesus the king, call Jesus the savior, but we behave like we are the kings. Like we are the saviors. So this is the world getting together to do what only Jesus does. Now let's see the the next point. Calling that out as fake. Calling that out as fake. And it is fake, isn't it? It's all fake. It's crowds and crowds and crowds of people in Daniel chapter 3 gathering around this idol, this fake God in a fake enforced unity it was enforced, wasn't it? <laughs> Bow down or you get fried. So there was this enforced unity that was fake. Bowing to a fake god that was literally just a big statue made out of gold. Honouring fake success of a fake utopia. It's fake, it's phony, it's make-believe, it's pretend. It's literally a setup. Did you hear that setup repeated all the way through the chapter? You know, the Old Testament has this phrase, set up, and it uses it so many times. But a tenth of all of the Old Testament references to that phrase, set up, occurs in this one little page, this one chapter. It's a big emphasis in the chapter that this is a set up. Nebuchadnezzar set up this idol. It's all made up. And where is it today anyway? Where's Nebuchadnezzar? Where's Babylon? Where is this idol, this empire, this golden head, peak of human civilization that's worth uniting for? We can't even work out where it was. If any of it does exist, it's dusty bits in a museum somewhere. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is repeating himself. He says, without Jesus as your king, there is no success, there is no glory, There's no overcoming judgment. It's fake. And so this big bubble that we're blowing up like an overinflated ego bursts in verse 18. Where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, We do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the image that you have set up. Do you get the impression ever that the world we live in is a bit of a setup? For all of its protests and its movements and its shows of solidarity on social media, and these are sometimes good things, has society ever been so fragmented? The world remains in Christless fragments, and the judgment of God meted out in Genesis 3 and 11 still stands, as it does in Daniel 3. You've got all these languages united by music, but they're still separated, they're still enforced. They're still oppressed by this empire and so forth. The myth of human success is a myth. Try as we might, and and we really should, there will always be injustice and oppression in the world. Jesus says so in Matthew 26. See, until Jesus reigns, it is impossible, impossible to eradicate slander and racism and phobias and hate and greed and all sorts. In short... No Jesus, no good. So that's what Daniel is pointing out for us here in chapter 3. 
the fakeness of human endeavor, the getting together to do what only Jesus can do for us, it's all fake and stupid waste of time, pointless. Now let's look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They call out this fakery, don't they? So let's have a look at them. They call out this fakery. They testify to the reality instead. And in, in so doing them, they're models for us as Christians, as Jesus' people through the centuries. So let's, let's consider that. They're under immense pressure, aren't they? They're under pressure from authority in verse 4. The king has commanded that they bow down. They toe the line. They're under pressure from conformity in verse 7. Everyone is bowing down and they see it all besides them. There's some great pictures, aren't there, in children's books of this idol standing up in the plain with a massive crowd of people and just three people stay standing and everyone else bows down. That conformity is a massive pressure. And verse 6, pressure by intimidation. They know that if they don't bow down, toe the line, sing from the same hymn sheet, they're going to get cooked. What would you do? Have you ever felt that pressure? Maybe in work? They're tempted to fall in line, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but when they see the crowds bowing down to this fake monument, to fake success of a fake and temporary kingdom, they say... What's that? Is that your God? Is you're united around that? Is this your kingdom? Is are you guys for real? Is this your heaven on earth? This is phony and fake and fickle. We are looking to Jesus. We're looking to his kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that shall never pass away. And so the three of them stand up and they show us that only Jesus can eradicate the judgment of God. Only he can remove the effects of sin from the world. We can only fake it. As we said to the children earlier, our perfect Instagram lives are literally lived through fake filters. Not perfect. Impossible to maintain. I don't know about you, but it makes me laugh that our anti-aging creams have best before dates. It's all fake. It's all a cover-up. It's all a setup. We try our best to cover up the effects of God's judgment on us and on this world, but we fail. But why? Why does it always fail? Can't we try a bit harder? Why is it always fake? Well, what Daniel 3 shows us, especially in the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from verse 18 onwards, is that there is an opponent to our success. There is someone who is frustrating every effort to unite, to overcome God's judgment, to succeed, is frustrated by King Jesus. You can see it there in verse, where is it now? Is it 28? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar says, they have frustrated the king's word. That word united all of the world around that fake idol. It has been frustrated by Jesus and his people. Because as he did in Babel, as he did in Babylon, Jesus today brings to nothing every attempt to undo the curse and to create heaven on earth without him. 
So that's the whole point then. In Daniel 2, there's this dream that Jesus' kingdom fills the whole earth. Jesus is the king. And so when in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm the king, thank you very much, and sets up this idol, Jesus and his people stands against him. It says in Daniel 3.18, we're not going to bow down to you and to your idol. We serve the living God. And in verses 28 and 29, Nebuchadnezzar has to toe the line. You see, what's happening here is that Jesus arrives on the scene in the confession of Jesus' people, and he reclaims the limelight. He says, I'm really the king here. Until this point, verse 18, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand up against the king, everyone was distracted by self and human achievement. But Jesus arrives and he says, what do you think you're doing? You don't exalt yourselves. I'm the one who exalts you. You don't give yourselves a value and a purpose in this life. I'm the one who tells you that you are more precious than you can possibly imagine in the eyes of God. You don't try to earn yourselves any sort of glory. I do that for you. You can't overcome the judgment of God on your own. I'm the one who does that for you. You don't build your own kingdom. I build you a kingdom, he says. What do you think you're doing? Looking after yourselves, trying your hardest to bless yourselves. I am the one who does that for you. To illustrate that, I want you to imagine now, if you've got any children, imagine that you find out later today that for the past however long your child has been living in poverty, skipping meals, doesn't have any clothes, is living homeless, but whenever they've met you, they've just pretended like everything's okay. Wouldn't that wind you up? Wouldn't you be furious with them for being so stupid? Why don't you come to me? I will feed you. I will clothe you. I will home you. I will look after you. And love mingles with anger at how stupid they've been. This is what the Lord Jesus does in Daniel chapter 3. When all the world decides we're going to bless ourselves, we're going to look after ourselves, we can raise ourselves up. He says, what do you think you're doing? That's my job. When we're trying our hardest to fix ourselves and save our world, he comes in to achieve what we cannot. Here we are, trying to make our humanness godlike. God descends and becomes a man for us and in so doing exalts our humanness. Here we are, swallowing lies and spewing lies about what heaven on earth is really like, about love and tolerance and all these things. And Jesus comes in the flesh and he opens his mouth and he preaches the truth about the kingdom of God. Here we are, we can only fake our own righteousness before God. We can only try our hardest and ultimately fail. But Jesus comes into the picture and he really obeys the Father for us. He actually earns a real righteousness for us. And having done all that, he rewrites the script, doesn't he? Remember what Nebuchadnezzar said about you, you um, getting together? He says, if you don't get together, if you don't worship this idol, you'll die. Jesus says, if I don't die, 
you're not going to get heaven on earth for which you strive. You see, we can only pretend, like Nebuchadnezzar and all of Babylon here, we can only pretend to overcome the judgment of God on our sin. But when we look at the cross, when we consider Calvary, we see Jesus Christ stepping into the fiery furnace of the Father's judgment on sin, and he actually overcomes judgment for us. And if that's not enough, the Lord Jesus is raised from the dead for us. He ascends with us into heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father for us, where he is building a kingdom for us. All of our wildest dreams about human endeavor, human achievement, the heights to which we can strive and achieve, they come true in Jesus Christ alone, not faith. The Lord Jesus today is sending his Holy Spirit into his world and it unites people. It unites his people. It unites people like us with people like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Christians all down the centuries and all over the world with one confession. Jesus is Lord. And that is our unifying confession all the way through our life, all the way through pilgrimage and even after death until we get into the kingdom that he has built for us. Listen to these words in Revelation 7, where the apostle looks and beholds a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before no idol but the throne, and before the Lamb, that is Jesus, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Now that, that is real heaven. That is utopia. That is the glory that we strive for. That is an actually united kingdom, centered around no idol, centered not around ourselves, centered not around whatever fakery we can manage to muster up, but around a worthy man. And when we put our faith in him, and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we get him and all that he has done and made for us that we couldn't do ourselves. You see, the world has always been united to do what only Jesus can do for us. So foolish, isn't it? So fake, so stupid. We settle for make-believe when the King of Heaven himself waits to crown us with his own glory. And so Christians then, we stand as lighthouses of sanity and truth in the world, calling fake on all the stupid little endeavours that we have to raise ourselves up and we look to the Lord Jesus Christ instead to close then let me uh, consider this last point then if we said right at the beginning that this is all about what did we say we said when the world is united to do what only Jesus can do Christians call it out as fake and look to Jesus instead so let's look at looking at Jesus eyes on Jesus Christ For Jesus' people, refusing to toe the line, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, has always meant 
treason against the state. Whether that was way back in Exodus when the midwives refused to kill babies in Egypt, or maybe it was the apostles refusing to stop preaching Jesus, the early church refusing to worship Caesar, the modern church today refusing to water down the gospel, whatever it may be, refusing to toe the line, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is treason against the state. Do you think that we can play along without denying the truth? Because we cannot play along without denying the truth about the Lord Jesus, we get rejected. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we get tossed into all sorts of different types of fires for calling the world fake and looking to Jesus Christ instead. But the thing is, if you ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went through a real fire there, didn't they? They really did. They will tell you that even the wrath of the world is fake and passing. Even a furnace that's seven times hotter than a normal furnace, it's silly overkill, isn't it? Even that. It's fake and it's passing. Because Jesus is with us even in the fires. Jesus is with us in every trial and every temptation. Just like he promised in Isaiah 43, when you go through the flames, I will be with you. And so Daniel 3 is wonderful, isn't it? It teaches us not just that he suffers for us to overcome the judgment of God on our behalf, but he suffers with us. And he bears the trials of this life with us. And all of the consequences of standing with him, he bears them with us. I don't know about you, but it made me smile when Nebuchadnezzar really put his foot in it, didn't he, in verse 15. He threatens them with a fire and he says, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? I wonder if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also laughed at that point. Jesus delivers from the lies. Jesus delivers from the fires of this phony world and he bears them with us. Now, Jesus' people have always been faced with the same decision down the ages, and uh, that's the same as here as it was then. So here are your two options, okay? Having considered now what the Lord Jesus does for us in Daniel 3 and so forth, these are your decisions. Option one, stand up. Call out this world's hubris and pride as fake, and call out Jesus as the king. And what you will get for that, if you choose option one, is you will get a fire, a furnace. And you will get Jesus in that fire. Option two, you can bow down. You can swallow the pill, you can play along. And what will happen is, you'll get no fire. But you'll get no Jesus as well. And we will become as temporary as this place and all of its grandeur really is. So what are you going to choose? I want to give you, right here at the end to finish, two things to help you decide. Okay? The first thing 
comes up there in chapter 3 and verse, let's see, verse 24 onwards, especially there in verse 26. This is the first thing to help you decide whether or not to stand for the Lord Jesus. What happened when Nebuchadnezzar saw the Lord Jesus in that furnace with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? He was astonished and he had to call them out of the fire. That says something, doesn't it? Imagine right now, you were suddenly placed in a seven times hotter than hot furnace. Would you be hanging around or would you be trying to find a way out of that? Nebuchadnezzar finds that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego would rather be in a fiery furnace with the Lord Jesus than in the king's palace without him. That says something. They were not in a hurry. When you have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ while you're in this world, it means that the worst that this world can give to you is the best thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the best thing this world can give to you, a palace that a king belongs in, is a mere shadow of what is to come. Here's the second thing to help you decide. Look there in verses 28 and 29, where Nebuchadnezzar now has changed his tune and he's singing a different song, glorifying the living God. What changed him? This great and mighty, best in the world, peak of human achievement, golden head, mega man, the king of kings, concedes defeat at the simple sight of Jesus standing with his people. When you have your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, it means that the world cannot defeat you because you're tied to the Lord Jesus. All it can do is admit defeat and join you in looking to him. So please allow me to invite you now to turn from this foolish world, from its fake efforts of exalting itself, turn from all of its fruitless fate flailing to reach for the heavens, turn even from self, all of our pretending that we're better than we really are, and look, behold, stare at, eyes on, focus on Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, Put your eyes fixed on him and his kingdom. Let things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And you'll find that the world cannot do anything to hurt you. And the best that it has to give you uh, is Jesus Christ. And you're looking at him. He is the most wonderful thing that, the, that we could ever possibly have. And God has given him to us as a free gift of his grace. So let me invite you then to turn from the world and to turn to Jesus Christ and to follow him through all of life. I'm just going to read now a few verses from Daniel chapter 4. Briefly pray and then we'll read a hymn to close. Daniel chapter 4 is a letter from Nebuchadnezzar. It goes like this. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it was good to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. 
His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bless and praise you for your providence in history that you have preserved and protected and blessed and grown your church all down the ages in every country. That even today there are people from all over the world, virtually every country and every language and tribe and tongue. There are people who join Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, including us, Father, by your grace, in proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. We ask you, Father, that you should open our eyes and allow us to see how fickle, failing and temporary this world and all of its glory is. That we should be given the courage to stand up for the Lord Jesus and to call it out as fake and passing. That we may know the privilege of standing with him in the fires. We thank you, Father, for the gift of him. That he does not stand and wait in heaven aloof. But that he stoops down even now. And in the consequences that we bear for his sake, he stands with us. And we are victors and conquerors of all things through him. We thank you, Father, for his cross and all that teaches us about what he has come to do for us. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to do these things by ourselves. And give us over, Lord, to a desire to take nothing uh, from this world. And to look only to Jesus Christ and all that he has to give to us. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read to you now hymn number 309. 309. It goes like this. Jesus, immortal King, go on. The glorious day will soon be won. Thine enemies prepare to flee and leave the conquered world to thee. Gird on thy sword, victorious chief. The captive sinner's sole relief. Cast the usurper from his throne and make the universe thine own. Then shall contending nations rest. For love shall reign in every breast. Weapons for war designed shall cease or then be implements for peace. Thy footsteps, Lord, with joy we trace. And mark the conquests of thy grace. Finished the work thou hast begun. And let thy will on earth be done. Hark, listen, how the hosts triumphant sing. The Lord omnipotent is king. Let all the saints rejoice at this. The kingdoms of this world are his. Amen. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of us now and forevermore. Amen.